Hey, this is your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, and I don't suck, and neither does the Pipples podcast, but anyone who plays the Riders, they suck. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. Let's go, Rider Nation. I'm ready. I'm ready. Here we go. This is the Piffles Podcast, your premier Saskatchewan Rough Riders fan podcast. Thanks so much for joining this, joining us this week for episode 207. And although it's not a real holiday right now, we're celebrating. It's Festivus here on the Piffles Podcast. My name is Alex. And I got everyone a donation in their name to the Human Fund. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, no Steve this week. Um, I guess he's uh, just feeling under the weather. And I got a lot of problems with him, and you're going to hear about it. So we're going to jump right into the show. Piffles Podcast is brought to you by our great friends at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. Check them out. You can give us a follow on Twitter at Piffles Pod. You can give me a follow at RealAlexD. And once again, I do not need nor want your pity follows at Greg on Sports. Time to jump into this uh, Riders versus Elks loss. It's the opening kickoff. Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now you're going to hear about it. And like I said, it's Festivus. We're not doing the traditional opening kickoff. Riders lose to the Elks 26-24, dropping their record to 6-8. and eight. And before we get to our airing of grievances, we do, since we're celebrating Festivus, have to get to the feats of strength first. Now, let's take a look at the positives from this game. And I'm Lights still out looking cool. for And I'm still, still looking for them. I, I got like a piece of cellophane that I can put over top of my, cam- my camera light on my phone. Um, it was a beautiful night at the ballpark. Very nice night. It was a great night for football. Um, football weekend in Saskatchewan was good. Oh, the weekend was awesome. That was, that was fun. Um. I'm um, still trying to think of one for the Riders here. Um, uh, there's one, and actually, where's two ones? Larry Dean there had another very solid game. Um, if there was a comeback player award in the CFL, he'd absolutely win it this year. Um, what he's been able to do coming back from a torn Achilles at his age and not playing in so long has been absolutely phenomenal. Larry Dean. What can we say about him? That that whole linebacking core we knew was going to be good going into the season, but Larry Dean's been way better than I thought he would have been. Oh, everyone, and rightfully so, was very concerned about his health after bl- blowing his ACL before training camp started last year. And, yeah, to take that much time off and to play at this high level, like he's been – everyone was excited about Sankey, everyone was excited about Moncrief, and everyone had a question mark beside Larry Dean's name, but – he is everything that we hoped he was when we signed him. And looking down the list, that's about it in terms of feats of strength for the Riders here against the Elks. That was just an ugly game, top to bottom. Embarrassing. That was embarrassing. Even when the Riders took the lead, I'm like, we're still going to lose this game. There's a minute and a half left. Yeah, too much time. 
and with Sergio's leg and the way that our defense wasn't stopping anything at that point, you knew they were going to get within Sergio's range and they got past Sergio's range. It was ridiculous. Let's just get right now to the airing of grievances for our Festivus episode here. I got a lot of problems with this rider team and you guys are going to hear about it just from this game alone. That O-line, we've been talking about it all season long. It's not that if they can't hold up against a blitz, because that happens. Three-man rush. Three-man rush. All game. This is a Chris Jones defense that they played. They know this defense. Chris Jones doesn't mix it up a lot. It's a three-man rush, or he's bringing four or five. But when he brings three, he shows he's only bringing three. You know in advance when it's a three-man rush. There were times... They gave up eight sacks on the on the night. And how many came from three-man rush? Probably four or five. It was pathetic. There was a play, Evan Johnson, who's been a total bust for the Riders at Brutal. right guard. Terrible. Was behind Cody Fajardo. Would that make him a rear guard? Like, I don't understand how an O-lineman going back into his stance... And a quarterback going into his five-step drop, I don't know how that O-lineman can ever be behind the quarterback. You're supposed to block what's in front of you. Nobody went after him. He didn't have anybody to block on that play because it was a three-man rush. It was the tackles, and then it was Furland and Bandy. Or, sorry, um, Bandy and uh, St. John. St. John, because um, Furland was out, um, taking on the other rusher. Evan Johnson was literally looking around, which, okay, he's looking for a guy to block. But he was behind Fajardo by a step or two. And then Fajardo steps up, gets sacked. Evan Johnson looks like, oh, I guess I could have blocked that guy. Why is this guy on the team? Johnson has looked bad, like not just this last game. All season long, I've seen so many clips of Evan Johnson just wandering around with his hands up. Like he's he's playing blind man's bluff. There's no one around him, and he's just kind of taking steps back and forth with his arms out. Do I don't know doing what? Because obviously the guys are already behind him. He there was so much potential there, and he has not even come close to it. Like when Josiah St. John slides above you on the depth chart in most fans' minds, you know you're in trouble because everyone thinks Josiah St. John is a waste of money. Like it is ridiculous how unprepared Johnson looks. I I don't know how else to put it. They have other guys on the practice roster play those guys because we were talking about Natai Rogers how it couldn't get any worse than Natai Rogers. It cannot get worse than Evan Johnson. Well, the entire right side with Natai and Evan was 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 so brutal. Johnson kind of got a pass because. Natai was taking all those penalties. Well, maybe he's taking the penalties because he was trying to cover for Johnson. It, either way, Natai wasn't good either. But I, I don't know what you're going to do. This offensive line is not going to get any better for the remainder of the year. We just need to get guys healthy and try to figure out the best way forward with this offensive line. And again, that comes down to being on Jeremy O'Day and not addressing the big glaring issue on the team in free agency because old linemen don't just randomly fall to you 
and and show up from NFL cuts. They just that just doesn't happen. So anybody thinking that there's going to be NFL cuts coming in for the O line, it's not happening. This is the O line we're stuck with. And I know we were praising the signing of Emily, uh, drafting of Emily's, but man, that passing on uh, Noah Zer is like is looking really bad right now. It fit the bill. Uh, local guy, O line. They usually pan out for this team. Usually. Position of need. Like, I don't know why they didn't go that route. Anyway, um, I just don't. If Evan Johnson's back next year, there's a problem. I don't know how he can be. I legit have no idea how he makes it into 2023 in Ryder Green. But then again, I've been saying the Bojo Ozai St. John for years, and he's just like a bad penny keeps on turning up. And he's not the worst one, which is kind of kind of sad. So getting away from that three man rush, I don't like singling out one single player, especially a guy that I really really like on this team for having a bad game. But Mike Adam had possibly his worst pro game against Edmonton. Got like looked foolish. Plenty of times coming down into the box trying to tackle Taylor Cornelius and just could not do it. Looked lost out there. He was beat by receivers constantly. He was bad. I will give him a pass though because it's one game and Mike Adams been he's proven that he's a stellar player. He's a very good football player. But this was a bad one. But it couldn't have come at a worse time when they needed plays to be made. He was nowhere to be seen. And here's the thing, though, Adam was bad. Like you're right, that's probably the worst game I can recall him ever having. But by far, the amount of arm and hand tackles that these guys were attempting, like no one was actually trying to make a solid tackle. That's the reason why Cornelius kept on going. That's the reason why Brown kept on going is because no one was wrapping up. Like they were, they were just blowing through limbs left, right, and center. Like that was the worst tackling game I can recall that didn't involve Junior Murtile. That was just bad. And that's on the entire defense. That's just, and, but yeah, Adam, that is the worst game I've seen him have. And the entire defense, just as a whole, was bad. Couldn't stop anything. Edmonton was moving the ball almost at will at times, and it was Cornelius running that that he killed had, the Riders. He had like a first and twenty, uh, sorry, a second and twenty, and he like walked for it, like, like brutal, like brutal defense. Yeah, it's supposed to be the strength of the team, definitely the weakness, uh, especially in this game. And okay, flipping over to the offensive side, we could air our grievances about Jason Moss and not using the run game or using Frankie Williams in, in short, I always say Frankie Williams, Frankie Hickson in, uh, you know, short passing game and whatnot, which is what they should be doing or getting KSB more involved from the slot instead of having them in at wide out, um, get them the ball. Those guys are the two biggest playmakers the Riders have had all season. Shaq Evans had a, a decent game. He's looked good since coming back from injury. But it's time to talk about Cody Fajardo. And to me, this isn't about the, 
the, the, the way he plays. This isn't about his performance on the field. Because to me, it is what it is. He's an, maybe slightly above average quarterback, but in terms of where everybody is right now, he's an average quarterback, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Because I don't think there's, outside of Zach Caleros and how Nathan Rourke was, there's no one elite in the CFL anymore. There's just not. There's the top-tier guys, then there's everybody else, and then there's whatever Ottawa puts out there. I'm talking about Cody Fajardo's constant whining and crying in the media. And I hate to say the term mentally soft because I don't believe that's a real thing in real life. It is in sports, though. And there's a way to you, you have to differentiate the two because mentally tough in sports is way different than what people would say mentally tough in real life is. In pro sports, Cody Fajardo just doesn't have it. The constant whining and crying in the media saying, I feel the whole world is basically against us. Yeah, Cody, every pro sports team goes through stuff like this where everybody's against you. Guess what? In a nine-team league, eight teams and their fan bases are against you. Okay, And when you're not performing, your own team, your own fans are against you because they want you to perform. Also, it wasn't great when you hear your own fans booing you, especially when you're at home. Give them a reason not to boo, Cody. They're booing because you're not playing well. It hurt. Yeah, probably. This is pro sports. I felt like a lot of people gave up on us. Yeah, because it looked like you gave up on everybody else as well, Cody. Your offense doesn't inspire anybody. It looks like you guys give up plenty of times. Your body language on the field is not that of a leader. This team is lacking in leadership, especially from the quarterback and above, Going talking about the head coach and even going further up, which we're going to get to in a little bit as well. But Cody's acting like this is the first time it's ever happened in the world where a quarterback gets booed or that everybody's against a Saskatchewan Rough Rider quarterback. Our fans booed Ron Lancaster. Okay? It happens. There's a statue outside the, the stadium. Like, Ronnie did fine. The last they, quarterback to win a Grey Cup for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders got booed quite a bit. A lot of people didn't like him. Even after he won, people still didn't like him. But guess what? He had that extra edge to say, screw you guys, I'm going out and doing this. And you can say he, so on Twitter. Yeah, he was mentally tough in terms of pro sports. Cody Fajardo doesn't have that. He's missing it, and he's taking everything too personally. I get it. It's hard to hear people say they don't like you or 20,000 people booing you. Like that, that sucks. I get that. But Cody, you're not the first person to ever go through this. Okay, so crying in the media isn't going to do anything other than and get people more upset at you and look at you like you're a crybaby. I get it. College or high school, college, you're the big fish in the small pond. When you get to the pros, you're the small fish in the in the big pond. Okay? Not everything's all cheery like it was in college when you're winning games and winning state championships. Okay? And he doesn't understand that. He's taking it too personally, and it's it's showing in his play. 
And while he wasn't that bad in this game, like I said, it's the off-field stuff that shows me that this team will never, ever win with him as the quarterback. Could Cody be a winning quarterback in this league? Yeah, he's showing he could. 2019, I don't know if he was a flash in the pan, lightning in a bottle, what you want to call him. But he proved he had the talent to at least lead this team to a West champ, a West final, and to win first in the West. He he has the ability, but that's when things go really really well. When things don't go so well, it's it seems to be a lot for him. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if I I I, I struggle calling him soft because he's a dude's a competitor. It shows that he wants to win. It's just he gets into his own. It appears that he gets into his own head. And the problem with this market, especially, is we're hard on our quarterbacks. We we love you when you're winning, but when you're not, we'll let you know. And even if you are winning, i.e., Darian Durant, we'll still tell you what you're doing wrong. Not a lot of people can handle that. And Darian was one of the few people that could take that, go, F you guys, I'm going to show you what I'm going to do and shove it down your throats. Like, Darian Durant's pivotal moment in my mind, it's not even the Grey Cup. It was that, uh, was the game against BC in the playoffs leading up to that Grey Cup. Because he just said, basically, screw you guys, I'm going to show you why I this is my team. And literally put that team on his back and carried them through that semifinal. I don't know if Cody's got that in him and that bugs me because I do as, as a guy, like I've got that Jesus sprinkle thing on my, on my wall for a reason. Like he embraced it. It sold a bunch of money. We made a bunch of money for a charity. Love the guy for that. I want to see him succeed, but I don't think this is the market where he's going to excel because I don't know if he can handle that constant pressure. I agree. Great, great guy. Great guy. Probably the toughest player in the league, and I'll never take that away from him. I think he's one of the strongest, like, in terms of the will to and wanting to win. To me, I see a lot of intangibles in him that we saw in Michael Riley, just getting hit from a crappy O-line constantly and just getting up play after play, fighting through injuries. Tough guy, wants to win. I know that, and, and I don't think there's many that want to win more than him. But he just but, doesn't have that, that one thing. That, but also with that comes with, he needs to make smarter decisions. Yes, he wants to be the guy. And yes, he wants to battle. But he also can't hang on the hang on the football for 20 steamboats. Because, yeah, you, yeah the, there's eight sacks. And yes, a lot of that is on that offensive line. I would argue at least half of those were because Cody just refused to get rid of the ball. And was just running around doing pirouettes in the backfield, trying to get away from the defenders. I know you want to go out and you make you want to make a play, and that's what playmakers do. Sometimes the best play is to throw the ball away and have to punt it away. At least that way you're saving ten yards in field position. But I don't know. I don't know who can tell him that. Like I don't know. Like is that a Jason Moss? You sit, you sit down with him and say, Cody, just throw the friggin' ball away. 
or is that Craig Dickinson doing that? Because coming from Craig Dickinson, that would make no sense to me because he's a special teams coordinator by trade. He is not a quarterbacks guy at all. And even and even if Dickie wanted to, I don't think he would. Dickinson is Ken Miller bought on Wish. <laughs> he's a nice guy, but and like I said, it's not that the players don't respect him; they do. But Miller had this way of getting guys to run through walls for him. Dickinson, basically, the guys just kind of shrug their shoulders and goes, "Oh well, we'll do better next time, coach." And he goes, "Okay, guys, I love you." Ken Miller wouldn't do that. Like Ken Miller would go, "No, you do it right," and then and then he would tell them he loves them. Like I, I like Dickinson too, but he just does not command the respect to get the players to do what they need to do to win. The players love him, though. I know that. I've talked to a bunch of them. They think he's a great guy, but and a great coach, but he just does not. And you can see that with the. Um, penalty issues these guys just don't fear him enough to straighten out i will say one thing about craig dickinson and i feel like this is the first time we got a a real real truth out of him this year when he said we're not a good team even at four and one we weren't a good team and saying that after the game i was like thank you thank you you're finally speaking some truth here instead of just saying oh the guys played hard I love them, and we got to fix that. No, that's that's BS. Like, come on. Don't give me that. You're speaking truth here. We're not a good team. Okay. You know what the very next question should have been? Why is that, Coach? How are you going to fix it? Because, Well, that can be a question after, but why aren't you a good team? What are the problems? Where does it start? Then how do you fix that? That's what I want to know. And I don't know if he has the answers for it. I know with a roster right now, it's kind of the roster's stuck where it is. Like that's that's what he's dealt with, and that that's what he has to deal with, and that's fine. And with a coach's cap, you can't just go to your GM and say, "I need a new offensive coordinator because whatever's not working." You can't do that. That's just not how it works right now, especially this late in the season. Let alone, you know, a month or two ago, that still would have been too late in the season for it to happen. But whatever. I, I, I don't know what the issue is, or, or no, I know what the issues are with the team. I don't know how you fix them. I don't know how you do it this year in 2022. I don't think you can. But really, if you look at the the roster talent-wise, it looks like they have the horses. It's a good-looking team. Why, why can't they put it together? It comes down At that point, it comes down to co- – part of it comes down to coaching – Yes, that offensive line has a bunch of holes in it. That definitely has to get fixed. But that does not explain the really bad performance by the defense last week. That doesn't explain why who we think is the best kicker in the league having a really bad night. Like, don't get me wrong. We all have that. But that was especially weird for him. And I I, I still don't think things are all great with, uh, with Brett Lothar. He's still... That that injury's nagging on him because he hasn't looked right since, and he's still not doing kickoffs. It's Bedvik doing the kickoffs, That's so Lawler's only doing field goals. So I think there's something. I don't know if it's something that would need surgery or whatever that they're pushing off to the end of the season, but something's not right with him. 
what was it the odds to win the gray cup or 0.2% for the riders? So you're saying we got a chance. 0. 0.02, I think. Is like it, it 0. Was, 0. 0.02? I thought it was 0.2. I'd have to scroll up a bit and find that. But yeah, it was not it was not flattering to the riders. Like they're predicting the numbers say that it's a gonna be a Toronto Winnipeg Grey Cup, which I think for the most part right now a lot of people would probably agree with. But yeah, that's uh and by no means, by no means, am I saying the season's lost? Like I've seen no. teams, like I've seen teams turn it around, especially in the playoffs. It's it's a it's a one game series, and Winnipeg was the underdog in 2019, and they beat Calgary, and then came here and beat us, and then beat a hot Hamilton team. Like it can happen, but it's well, they need a, a lot of healthy and a lot of things to turn around to work in the riders' favor. Right? Well, one, it already start, the good favor started for them early in the season with Hamilton being so terrible and Ottawa. But now all the East teams are playing the East teams, and you get matchups like Hamilton and Montreal this week. And these teams are going to start winning games because somebody has to win them. And unless the Riders start winning games, well, six Hamilton wins. Hamilton six beating wins Winnipeg not gonna, was not good for us. No, six wins is not going to get you a crossover. Well, it, it was it was looking like it was looking pretty good until Hamilton beat Winnipeg and we lost to Edmonton, and then all of a sudden that entire narrative just switched. And you look at the schedules and what the Riders have left after this bye week. You have Winnipeg and you have Hamilton in two games against the Stampeders to close it out. That I don't game, know if they that win. game in Hamilton has playoff implications. That's a huge game. I don't know if they win another game this year though. It's if it, if it is that's the one because, but I don't know. Hamilton is such Jack is so Jekyll and Hyde this season. I don't know what to what to expect from them. Dane Evans put in one hell of a game last week, so if that's the the Dane Evans they get going forward, the Riders are going to be in tough. Um, Duke Williams didn't play this game. Can't get mad at him for that. But I'm seeing a lot of people saying, just turf this guy already. He's not helping the team. And when he's out there, he's not helping the team. What's your what do you take of that? Like I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that either. Because you look at what happened in the West final or this yeah, West final last year in Winnipeg. He showed why this team went out and got him. Yeah, and he if, he almost, didn't get, if he didn't get banged up on that play that he killed himself, to, well, if he actually made that catch, but that, that's a conversation for another day. But he basically laid himself out on the line to attempt to make that catch. They called him that he made that catch, and if we had him for the next play or next couple plays, who knows what would have happened. But he's, yeah, he's why we signed him. We didn't want him to go anywhere else. Well, and, and that's the thing is going into free agency, it was Duke Williams is a must sign, must resign him, Jeremy O'Day, because if not, you failed. Well, he signed him for probably more than he should have been paid. For, oh, definitely more than he should have been paid based on his current output for this season. Um, but 
I mean, once Kenny Lawler got well, I was gonna game. say, yeah, I, I blame the Lions and the Elks <laughs> for completely turning the wide receiver the receiver market on its head. Yeah, like meanwhile, Brian Burnham's like when was one of the first guys to sign going, What the hell happened? Yeah, 160 for Brian Burnham a year, absolute steal <laughs> for what to me is the best receiver in the CFL. Um, but so many people are over Duke Williams, and I don't get it because, yeah, okay, he had the the helmet swinging thing against the Argos, and, and he rightfully was suspended for that, and whatever. But, I mean, this guy's still an elite talent. And I said it last week, if there's ever a game that I'm going to sit him out, it's going to be this Edmonton game to make sure he goes into the bye week and is, is healthy going into Winnipeg at the end of the month because that's when they're going to need him. And with the way that Shaq and Kyron Moore have been playing the last couple weeks on offense, they could have afforded to sit him one more week, and they did. Hindsight 2020, maybe if they could have pushed him and, and actually played, maybe the Riders win this game. I don't know. Maybe they still don't. Who knows? But I don't know if he can come back next year, not with how people are just all over Jeremy O'Day for signing him in the first place. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with Duke. Who knows? Maybe if this team goes on a run and Duke is a big part of that, fans' opinions change. Winning solves everything. But at his price ticket, at his output this year, unless he's willing to take a uh, pay cut, I don't see how you do sign him. So I was going to bring this up later in the show, but let's do it right now since we're still kind of doing a little festivus here. What changes need to be done? And I have this put out in a couple different ways. First off, in the bye week, what changes need to be done going into next week's game against Winnipeg? Is there anything that can be done? Unless there's a magical fountain filled with offensive linemen that are available, both national and import, I don't know how. Um, that's a big one. Uh, everyone needs to be healthy. And yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't know what the answer is. Like I said, you look at this roster on paper, it should click. But something is just not firing this year. And I don't know what it is. Is it too much pressure being a home gray cup and everyone seems to think that we should automatically be there? I just everyone's playing out of their league. No one really got like BC got better, sure, but that was kind of kind. Of, they got a generational talent, and they have looked what kind of human since he went out. Winnipeg's Winnipeg. Calgary took a step back. Edmonton, it's the first year of a Jones rebuild. Like the Riders should should have been in the hunt, and I don't know what happened. And you can't make a change at coach. Like the the only thing probably saving. Dickinson from not getting fired mid-season this year is O'Day doesn't want to coach. If this was a Machocha team or a Jim Pop team, he would have been canned weeks ago. But because of the coach's salary cap, and unless you want to hand the reins over to Moss as head coach, and I don't think O'Day wants to do that, there's, there's no one ready to be the head coach of this team on staff. 
I don't see a lot of changes. Long story short. Yeah, there's nothing is going to be done this week. This, like I, I haven't been saying, this is the roster that they're stuck with. Um, and right there, the coach's cap. This is the coaching staff that they're stuck with. And it's too late in a season anyway, unless you're absolutely going to fire everybody, which you don't do when you're still in a playoff position. That makes no sense whatsoever. If they were going to make a move to change this team, build up, methodology, anything, it would have been last bye week, and they would have got Vernon Adams out of uh, uh, Montreal before uh, BC got him. But they're not going to move on from Cody. No. Which brings me to the next part of this little branch. What changes need to be done in the off season, And how far up does that go? Because over the last couple of weeks, I've seen, okay, there's obviously find a new quarterback, play Mason Fine, play Jake Dolagala. I mean, that's typical Ryder Nation, always wanting to see the backups play. All at that one slide. But maybe you do take a serious look at your quarterback room next for, for next year. You got to. You got it. People want people want people want Craig Dickinson gone. I will go on record and say I hope that he's not the head coach of this team next year, unless he randomly turns it around, which I don't have faith that he will. Unless he turns things around and brings them a great cup this year, I don't think he should be the head coach of the team next year. Jeremy O'Day was he really just riding off the coattails of Brendan Tamman and Chris Jones and inherited a really good team because since then. Their record's gotten worse and worse and worse. I've also heard Craig Reynolds' name being thrown around a lot. I So, how far up do changes need to go? What changes need to be made, and how far up should this go? So, I'll start from the bottom up. I won't go any further than coordinator. Between Shivers and Moss, I think I'd keep Shivers. The, the guy seems to have a very good handle on this defense despite how despite his age a young a young coordinator you gotta keep him as long as he can because i think he's probably looking south at some point moss i think he's going to be looking at i could see him getting a shot at the montreal job uh once that opens up but what do you do about dickinson so if that's the case if you think moss is leaving and you're not going to keep dickinson as your head coach well, Moss is going to be a name there. So do you just promote within? But you think if you were going to do that, you would have done that this season because this team is not reacting to Dickey right now. Do I think you make a change? Yes. Who I would like? I would like Kahari Jones. But can you get him out of Hamilton now? I don't know. O'Day. <sighs> I think he gets another shot. I don't think they get rid of him yet. I think they get him some help, but I don't see them getting rid of him because they switched assistant GMs this past off season. So I don't, uh, I think they give O'Day another shot to turn this around. Reynolds ain't happening. This team is still profitable despite the fact it's a pandemic. There's no way in hell the board gets rid of Reynolds as CEO. Do maybe, do they hire an especially, uh, do they hire a special consultant to uh, for football ops? That might be the way you go. I don't know who. Knowing the CFL, probably Wally Buono, because that's just what you do if you bring in a special consultant. <laughs> but as long as this team is making money, as long as this team is profitable, I don't see how you get rid of Craig Reynolds, 
especially considering they're talking about like massive losses for years. And the year after COVID, they spike a profit. I there's no way in hell, despite what you want to say about the on-field product, does this team get rid of Craig Reynolds as CEO? And let's be honest, the person that was fueling that fire has a massive axe to grind. As an accountant by trade for Craig Reynolds, numbers, 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 numbers. And like you said, as long as they're turning a profit, he ain't going anywhere. My issue with Craig Reynolds and every every interaction I've, I've had with him in you know a previous life was very, very good. Very nice man. Everything was was professional and, and I had no no problems. He's just if I don't think that I know the hardcores know who he is. I don't think the casual fan, which to me makes up at least 75% of fans, I don't think they could pick Craig Reynolds out of a lineup. They could probably tell you a lot more of them could tell you who a Jim Hobson is. They have no idea who Craig Reynolds is. Craig Reynolds needs to be out in the public more and and like Jim Hobson was. I'm not saying he has to be Jim Hobson because that's not a fair comparison for for anybody. Like that's just fair to anybody to do that. But people need to know who he is. And I don't Here's think they the do. thing. Coming after Hobson in that role was not a good situation. It's tough. That's tough. Because Hobson was the biggest cheerleader and and he played a very good, happy, smiling, go lucky guy in his public persona. But if you know any stories about how ruthless he was as a businessman for the riders, like the, the dude had teeth. And some of the things he did do not match his public persona. However, I don't think you need to have your CEO as that cheerleader. Yes, it helps with like your Victor Queez and your owners at like uh, Stern and uh, Omar, uh, Omar. I always get his name. I always get his name wrong. Omar Doman. And Doman. Yeah. Like that, that's fine. But I think what you do is you hire that, like I said, your special consulting or whatever, and you make them the face of the franchise. Step rounds back into more uh, of a CEO role and put someone else as the face of the franchise. Like your Dana White. Dana White was never the, the owner or the actual CEO of UFC, but he was the face of it. That's fine. Put that person out there. Because Reynolds is good as his job, and that's to make this team money and to keep this team afloat. Leave him do that. He does not need to be the person out there answering questions and it's proven he doesn't want to be it because there, there was times when he should have been in front of the camera covering some of these bullets on the marino situation to get dicky away from the mic and neither him or oday stepped up so you need someone in that role so maybe that's what you do okay so that brings me down to jeremy O'Day. i'm with you greg i think oday gets another year for sure i have I, could he use uh, somebody in his ear saying, you know, maybe get some more offensive linemen? Come on, you were an offensive lineman by trade. Go get some. 
yeah, maybe. But he'll get another year for sure. I don't think Craig Dickinson does. Like I said, unless he goes on a magical playoff run and they turn it around and win the Grey Cup, I don't think he's back. And then coordinators, those will all be different with a new head coach anyway. I would actually like to see Kahari Jones here as well. Again, can you get him out of Hamilton? Who knows? Does he want to be back into coaching or is he happy where he is? I mean, maybe you bring him in for an interview and, and find out for sure. Quarterback. Cody was the right guy at the right time for this franchise. I'm not saying you move on from him, but I definitely think you have to have some sort of other plan, whether that's going into the season like Montreal did with Harris and Vernon Adams. You have to have somebody else with Cody Fajardo that has CF meaningful CFL experience. I don't know. That's who the that problem. I don't know who, you, who that is either. But you need someone to legit push him in camp, and he hasn't had that since uh, him and Harker were coming through the ranks. And you look at where exactly. Isaac Parker is now. Yeah, so you need somebody that can push him because I think Cody can still be a very good quarterback in this league. But he needs to be pushed, and there's nobody here doing it. And I get it. You had one great year. All of a sudden, we're going to make you the face of the franchise. Okay, that happens. That's It happens in pro football. All Hell, we praised time. it when it happened. We praised it. So did Yeah, I, I thought it was the right move. It. Absolutely. And and long term, it probably still is. We'll just discount the last couple of seasons based off of Zach Claros winning. But long term, I still think it was probably the right move. I'm not going to fault the writers for what they did. Zach was out. Cody was a hot hand. You had at that point, you decide you're going to move from Zach because Zach's been injured way too much. Well, and it's not like you gave him to Winnipeg either. You gave him to Toronto, and then Toronto moved him after that. So, yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. And the thing is, though, the Bombers had to do it because Nichols was hurt. And it's not like uh, Stravi was going to win them the Grey Cup. They knew that. So they they rolled the dice. And when you sometimes when you gamble big, you win big. And they won huge. Because holy crap, would, things would be completely different if Chris Strebler was the starting quarterback of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers going into that playoffs. <laughs> well, he wouldn't be their starting quarterback now, as much as CFL fans and New York Jets fans think that he should be the starting quarterback somewhere. There's a reason why dude was excellent in the NFL preseason. Yeah, you you went. Can you hear me? Okay. So there's a reason why this guy is not a quarterback anywhere right now. He's yeah on the practice roster for the for the Jets, but great preseason. Couldn't make the active roster. There's a reason for that. So, although things would look a lot different though if uh, Strebler ended up winning them a great cup if Claros couldn't go for whatever reason, but anyway. That's, yeah, that's not a thing anymore. Um, that's the opening kickoff presented by Kathy Festion of Royal LePage, John Realty. Um, that's a long opening kickoff. 
Um, so we're not going to make our Churchill Brewing Company odds and end zones very long this week, but um, two quarterback topics really quick with seeing Vernon Adams Jr. look all right with the BC Lions in his first start against Calgary, picking up the win in overtime, which was a fantastic game. Again, BC Calgary, didn't matter who the quarterbacks were. These were different quarterbacks this time than there was earlier in the season for both teams. That East, that East semifinal is going to be fun. Is BC... Are we West semifinal, sorry. West semifinal, yeah. That might be the best game of the playoffs, actually. Um, is BC a serious threat again with Vernon Adams Jr. as their quarterback? No, they're still a different team without Nathan Merck. Um, yeah, VA is better than Pipkin. But I, I think the team is... I it's still not the same without Nathan Rourke. That team was like de- destroying and dumbing people with Nathan Nathan Rourke. I it, it's weird how it even affects their defense. I maybe it's a mindset thing. I don't know. I think they're a threat to finish in second place still and put up a very very good game against Winnipeg. I don't think they're gonna overtake them. Although that said, I don't think with Rourke, they would overtake Winnipeg in the West final this year. But I, it's the turnaround that this team's had and watching their offenses all season long has been fantastic. So with a guy like Vernon Adams there, hopefully that can keep that offense can keep uh, scoring some points and, and looking good because they were a lot of fun to watch. Um, and I like Vernon Adams jr. I think he's, no, he's great. a wonderful guy. Um, that uh, I, I want to see him succeed. I really do. Um, and the other quarterback topic, flipping over to that other team that they played, the Calgary Stampeders, does Bo Levi Mitchell get traded by the October trade deadline? Other than us, who really needs him? And I don't see them pulling the trigger on that. If I was Hamilton, I would have been all in on him a couple weeks ago. With the way that Dane Evans has played last week, probably not yeah, if da- so if, much anymore. Yeah, if Dane didn't beat Winnipeg, I think Hamilton thinks about it. But I don't know where the stamps can unload a bowling on Mitchell. And I don't think, even if the offer came around, I don't think Calgary is ready to move on. Not yet. They'll wait till the offseason, trade his rights to somebody in the offseason, and get a draft pick or, or whatever. But just in case, you have, if you need to, in a playoff game, if Jake Mayer, because the playoffs are a different animal, the pressure on them and just how, like, probably going up against BC in the first round, if BC gets out to an early lead, how does Jake Mayer respond to that? If he doesn't, you have a two-time Grey Cup champion there. You have the winningest quarterback, like percentage-wise, in CFL history there. So I don't think you move on from him yet if you're a Calgary. You just can't trade him. You do it in the offseason. You hold on to him for the one last run with him if you need him. But where does he go next year then? I think the right – I mean – on the riders, I probably pass on him. They, they had, had their, their chance a couple years it. ago and blew it. And hindsight actually worked out pretty well for them with the way that Bose kind of 
had his career tail off here. Um, I don't know where there's a spot for him. The funny him thing anymore. is, we would have been in the ex- probably the exact same spot with or without Bully by Mitchell. If you think about how his career went since since that that signing happened, didn't happen, I should say. I I don't know what a landing spot is besides the TSN uh, panel desk. To be honest, I hope he moves to the panel. He is fantastic. Get him and Ben Hebert together. Those guys are best buds. Like you get those guys together and and talking sports. I know they'll they'll do their podcast or whatever. Get get Ben Hebert as a guest panelist on the TSN. Although uh, you might have to tape a lot of those, you can't really go. Actually, that's your. Remember when we were talking about Manning cast? That would be your Manning cast. Yeah, that'd be fun. I would watch the hell out of that. Voted those playoff games last year for the CFL. He was fantastic. Mm-hmm. He has a future in it. Maybe that's where he goes. Who knows? All right. Well. Let's uh, get to our pick'em here this week again. Only three games, as this is the final uh, three-game week of this season. It's a big one in Montreal. Hamilton at Montreal, and this is also big for the Riders too. What's oh, better for us? Montreal winning, probably. Yeah, Montreal's still ahead in the in the standings. Uh, we need to catch. We basically need to stay ahead of Hamilton. Uh, I I like Hamilton though. I refuse yeah, to pick a Danny Machocha like team. I'm sorry. <laughs> something about this, yeah, Danny Machocha team. I just I don't know. They've looked okay the last couple of weeks, but something about them just doesn't scream like they're going to win. And Hamilton put the boots to Winnipeg, and if if there's a team that can, Montreal you know, beat Winnipeg. They, I would like to I would like to point out that everyone's making fun of us for losing to Montreal and to Toronto, and Winnipeg has lost to Hamilton and Montreal. Yeah, I'm with you, though. I think i got to pick Hamilton in this game. Uh, Toronto at Ottawa. We're probably on the same side on this one. Ottawa. Really? No! Ottawa doesn't win at home. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, Toronto. And uh, finally, the rematch. And we didn't even talk about soccer punch uh, for Cameron Judge on Lucky Whitehead. Uh, Cameron Judge is going to be suspended for this game, not appealing it. Uh, Calgary at BC in a rematch. I, I still can't believe the writer sent uh, Garrett Marino to uh, frame Cam- uh, Cameron Judge. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I, I think BC is going to win at home. I really do. I have a weird feeling Calgary is going to win this game. Just a weird feeling. Uh, so long as there's no fights after after the game, yeah. it'll be fine. Yeah. Parking lot brawl. It's going to look like Pardon a brawl. Think... Part of me thinks that that suspension that came from Cameron Judge was the CFL just basically saying, okay, you know what? Play each other. Uh, let's just let's just not have any problems. So Cameron, just take this one game suspension. Part of me thinks that that's actually what happened. Here's my problem with that, though. And I don't know. Apparently, Lucky was going at Cameron and Judge all game about his family. 
which seems very weird and specific. Apparently his sister. That would do it. So then Cameron apparently sucker punches him. And then there's like a pull apart in the parking lot. Like why it wasn't something done about that. Before the parking lot, BC players went or yeah, BC players went to the Calgary locker room. Apparently. Like there has to be footage of that somewhere. And then as the Calgary players tried to get to their cars to go home. That's when there was this uh, near brawl outside. Like, why isn't there anything about that? Like, I understand on field, but technically speaking, after the game, there's still, like, the parking lot might be hard to police. I get that. But the stuff after the game inside the stadium, I believe there's still Technically, a part of the CFL's mandate at that point. I, I, I just, I, I don't understand what the CFL finds and doesn't find and suspends doesn't suspend for. It's just weird. It's almost at the point where it's with the it's it's like the NHL and their wheel of safety. I love the wheel of safety. <laughs> But, I'm looking forward to that rematch, though. That should be uh, that should be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's it's uh, like I said, I, it's going to be a good game regardless, and this one just adds a little extra fire to it. Well, so. They're fighting for that for that home playoff game against the other team, so that's a it's a big matchup. All right, well, I think that's uh, that's it for us this week here on the Piffles Podcast. Of course, Piffles Podcast is brought to you by our great friends at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. Special thanks go out to Kathy Festion of Royal Page Regina Realty and Churchill Brewing Company for their support making this show possible. Piffles Podcast is a proud member of the CFPN, the Canadian Football Podcast Network. And as always, here's Tyler Gilbert, Ghost Behind Your Mind.